0: Hello friends, Tom here. I am uh, coming to you from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. I am here for a few days just on a quick getaway. And um, before I introduce Herrick to you uh, to share this week's message, I just wanted to take a moment and kind of fill everybody in on where we're currently at regarding Sunday gatherings and being able to worship together. Uh, Now, if you've been journeying with us, you know that we have been waiting to hear back from Margarita Middle School and the Temecula Valley Unified School District as to when we can use the facility again and they gave us I believe it was June gosh what was it June 13th was the date that they gave us of when they would give us more information and uh, unfortunately we still haven't really received much if any information uh, regarding when we can gather again at the school and with the most kind of recent developments of the governor basically uh, not allowing churches to gather uh, for the foreseeable future, <clears throat> um, we're, we're still not sure about Margarita Middle School um, and when. Uh, the reason I bring that up with you is because I wanted to let you know that we're going to be praying, Herrick and I, and, and, and kind of involving some of our leaders as well, praying and really seeking God um, as to what he would have us to do given the circumstances now we've always wanted to prioritize following Jesus above all else um, and loving our neighbor so I just wanted to kind of put that in front of you I guess it's not really much of an update as much of it as it is of a continuation of our desire to seek and follow Jesus in this season and just kind of more of an emphasis now on really seeking his direction and even his provision for how we as a church would gather specifically to worship together on Sunday mornings, so we're going to continue at least for the next couple of weeks to provide uh, uh, resources to you uh, virtually. Um, but I wanted to let you know that we're going to be putting some some uh, <clears throat> some effort—not just effort—we're going to we're going to be intentional about seeking God's direction as to what He would have us to do in this season. So, can I please just encourage you? Would you join us in praying and seeking God's direction? Not what we think is best, not the best strategy that we can come up with as far as figuring out gathering and all that stuff, but really what God would have us to do. He is the chief shepherd. Um, he loves us dearly. He proved it at the cross. He's trustworthy. Okay. So would you join us in this season of really seeking him, his direction, his guidance? And, um, and yeah, we'll be, we'll be providing updates. I'm here really soon as to what comes out of this and where we really feel like God uh, and the direction that we feel like God is gonna lead us into. So I want you to know that I love you. I'm so proud of our church. We're such a, honestly, you guys are such a resilient people. Um, the ways that you are still loving each other, the gospel communities, I couldn't be more proud of you. Um, that Seeking to honor Jesus in this time, as difficult as it is, uh, your worship matters in this season. So I want you to tell you, I love you. I want you to tell you that I really believe that God has something really unique and special for our church in this season, that he's doing something. He's not, um, he's not pulling away here. I really believe that, that the spirit of God is pressing in, actually, as much as that might sound foreign to maybe your experience right now. Um, but, but trust me when I say that God's love is going to be on display in tangible and amazing and incredible ways in this season. I, I believe that with all of my heart and I think that our church is going to experience him in some fresh new ways um, in the seasons to come and I believe that he's available to experience in fresh new ways, new ways even in this season. So I love you guys. Um, I want you to enjoy Herrick's message and we'll have more information for you um, in the near future but please pray, okay? Love you dearly. Talk to you soon. Grace and peace.
1: Hey, Restored Church, Uh, it's I hope that you guys are doing well. Uh, This is uh, week five of our series that we're calling The Ends, What the Bible Says About the Last Days. And uh, during the first four weeks, we've talked through the different biblical views on the end times that Christians hold, the variety of views that Christians hold. And in the last two weeks, I have uh, spent working through what it looks like to live faithfully in the end times. So we looked at love, we looked at hospitality, we looked at uh, in quite a bit of detail about how, uh, what it looks like for us to use our gifts to, to benefit other people in these end times as we see the, the return of Christ approaching uh, in light of the fact that we're going to give Him an account uh, for, the, for our lives and how we steward the gifts He's given us. We covered those things. And, uh, and for this week, I want to take a slightly different approach. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share... Uh, what i believe are the uh, the main ways that we lose sight of the end that we sort of lose our way as we see the return of christ coming we can lose our way and sort of um, yeah make some compromises along the way and so my hope for this message is that this will help you that'll help me that'll help us to remember here are the things to look out for here are sort of the roadblocks that we run into as the church i'm speaking broadly and this, well, but we're in America, this is primarily going to affect the, the church in America uh, in this time, in the 21st century. So to kind of set this, this up, uh, I was thinking about, uh, about a movie. It may not surprise you. Uh, it's a movie. It's called Deep Impact. Uh, it is not uh, a classic uh, per se, but I think it's a movie, nevertheless, that I've thought a lot about as I've chewed on the end times. And here's why. The movie Deep Impact is about the end of the world. Or, uh, it's, a, it's, it's about a moment when people see the end coming. So there's a big asteroid that uh, scientists discover and they realize this is gonna hit the Earth. And this could be an extinction level event where a lot of people die from the, blood, from the initial impact and then over the, the course of time, as the fallout takes over, uh, many more people would die and it could wipe out the human race. That's what the movie's about. And, um, and here's why I've been chewing on this. We're obviously in a series about the end times, thinking about how to, how to understand the end times, how to live faithfully within the end times. And this movie kind of got me going. It got me thinking about what would happen if today we became aware of an extinction level event in our near future? How would we live? How would our priorities change? Probably overnight, almost instantly. And Deep Impact is a it's a kind of non-threatening way to do that. It's a movie. You just kind of watch it and, and chew on it. And here's the thing that I find so interesting about the movie is that as people came to an awareness of the end, as they saw the end approaching, it really helped them to understand and get their affairs in order. What really matters? What doesn't matter? So they, they, you see people working to mend broken relationships People working to say, I'm sorry. People working to make sacrifices on behalf of people who are weak, who are vulnerable, who might be overlooked. It's a real courage that comes, a real uh, generosity of spirit and love uh, as people took the time to prepare well for the end. And the interesting part, as I was chewing on it, people didn't need to know. Where is the asteroid gonna hit? When exactly is it gonna hit? They didn't need to necessarily know those details they knew enough, it's coming, and we need to prepare. That's all they needed to know. That was the most valuable information. And that was enough to motivate them to want to love, to want to serve, to want to take care of the people in their communities. That was all they needed. Figuring out every detail in light of the window of time that they had might have actually been a little bit of a distraction if they got really into the weeds. And so as I was cheering on it, for the church... We're in a similar spot. There's no asteroid coming, to my knowledge, that's gonna cause an extinction-level event. So not in that sense, but we are standing at the end of all things. That's what Peter says. We spent time looking at 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near, That's what Peter said. Therefore, live your life a certain way. And as we see the end approaching, Christ will return. That day is coming. And every day we're a little bit closer to his return. We don't actually need to know all the details of how that will unfold in order to get ready, in order to prepare well. But trying to figure out every detail can actually get us distracted. And, and, and it's not uncommon for that to happen, I think, in the in American Christian church. It could happen to us, it could happen to anybody. So in this message, I want to look at five ways, as quickly as I can, that we tend to lose sight of the end. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with getting down into... The weeds and kind of forgetting this is coming so number one this is i think the, the probably maybe the it's the first one on my list but it might be the number one way i think that we can lose sight of the end here in these end in the last days number one we get wrapped up in trying to figure out speculative timelines so this could look like speculating on exactly when the end will come a great example of this uh, back in 2011 back in may of 2011 some of you might remember There were billboards uh, all across America. Uh, It was actually in the run-up to May 2011 saying, The end is coming. The Bible guarantees it. Maybe some of you saw these billboards. I remember seeing them in San Diego. I was living in San Diego at the time. I was about to get engaged, and I remember these billboards saying, The end is here, May 21st, 2011. And there was this man, his name was Harold Camping, and he interpreted the Bible to say and mean that the end of the world was coming May 21st, 2011. And he spent, he really believed it. And he got a lot of other people to believe it too. And he and his organization spent millions, I believe it was a hundred million dollars, all told, on getting the word out about this end of the world on May 21st, this this event that was coming. They had billboards in places that I, I would have never guessed that you could have billboards. They had them in Turkey, in Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, Pakistan, and all the surrounding countries. They all had billboards and commercials with this announcement. The end is here. The Bible guarantees it. Here's the date. And they they believed it was the end. And there were a lot of people who believed that as well. I got to watch a video. It was really kind of eerie. It was this church that Carol Camping preached at and there were people there and they believed this is the last time we're gonna gather. May 21st is like whatever it was, the next Friday or whatever. This is the last time we can gather on a Sunday. And so it was obviously very weighty. They believed it was coming, the end was here. And uh, and they, they finished the gathering and there's a video of a woman who's just sitting there in tears. She's like feeling the gravity and the weight of this. She was contemplating the end. Other people are like recorded talking about like, I know the end is here and I want to tell my coworkers, but there's workplace rules about doing this sort of thing. So I don't want to break the rules. So I'm just kind of slipping uh, tracks uh, here and there where I can to people and so on and so forth. And obviously uh, today uh, we're in, this is July, 2020. The the prediction did not come true. And uh, and it took a lot of people in a sense out. Took a lot of resources out uh, that could have been invested in other ways there were people who were really hurt by this, people who believed this prediction and their faith was shaken. I remember seeing a man who he had given away most of his money to get the word out about the end of the world on this day. And he was talking and he was like, I don't know if almost like I don't know if I what if did I did I give away enough? Was what he was thinking. And, um, and it was brutal to watch and this was all because there was such a, a focus on speculative timelines. Really hurt people, caused a lot of devastation. Not to mention a lot of waste of, of resources that could have been used in a lot of other ways to make disciples. In the end times, uh, this is not an uncommon story. If you look at church history or just the history period, uh, there have been kind of fringe religious leaders who have predicted the end of the world. There's a man his name was William Miller. He began preaching in 1831. a so totally different. Time period. Nevertheless, same thing. The end of the world as we know it will occur in 1843. The second coming of Christ. He gathered a hundred thousand followers. Huge following. People who believed that they would be carried off to heaven when that date arrived. When 1843 came and went, the prediction failed to materialize. He recalculated and determined, no, it's actually going to be in 1844. This is also a common thing that happens. Recalculations later. Here's the most heartbreaking part of what I was able to read. It was a follower of his. His name is Henry Emmons, or Emmons. And he wrote, I waited all Tuesday, and dear Jesus did not come. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain. I was just sick with disappointment. And this made me so sad. because Because t- when this sort of thing, this sort of speculation about the end really gets going, you know, especially when you're trying to predict the the date of Christ's return. People can tie up their Christianity, their faith in Jesus around this timeline that can then prove to be misguided. And of course, if you're predicting the end of the world, Jesus says no one knows. So it's definitely misguided. It misrepresents Jesus to the people in the church and not to mention the people outside of the church. Uh, the, The videos of people after the failed prediction in 2011, people outside the church, They're just laughing, mocking. And uh, and it's very sad. And I think it takes our eyes off of Jesus. And I think there's a sense in which we could do this. Um, Definitely, you know, if someone's doing this, trying to figure out the date of Christ's return, that is very dangerous spiritually uh, because Christ said, we don't know. He didn't even know. That's something the Father knows. So that's very, very dangerous to do. That should not be done. Um, There's a way in which, though, we could do something... uh, it's in a different category, but it's somewhat similar where we try to figure out the, the timing of when is the rapture going to happen, when is the Antichrist coming onto the scene, when is the Tribulation, when is the Millennium, the Battle of Armageddon, and so on. This is a different category. I think this is legitimate. You can do this uh, studying Scripture, and you can try to do the, the best you can to try to figure out what the timeline is. So I think that's totally okay. But we can do this sometimes in a way where we don't take into account how complex it actually is. How many interpretive questions are so hard to actually find out while coming up with a timeline? It's very complex. So it can be done sometimes in a way, and presented in a way where it's not like, hey, this is what we think, this is our best understanding of it. With the humility, I think that, that there's a humility required when presenting these timelines. Um, oftentimes it can come across like, here's what's gonna happen. And here's the, the reason why I think we need to hold this humbly. We could be wrong. We could be wrong. In fact, I think in the final analysis, I don't think anyone's probably gonna have it, have it exactly right. There's so many complex questions to answer. We do the best that we can. We hold our position humbly about how this is all gonna play out. And here's the key. We don't, as Christians, we don't wanna put our hope in a timeline but in the Christ who is returning at the end of time. When I put our faith and hope in him, not in any timeline, because these timelines, they are going to, they're not going to be precise or exact. So we don't want to get wrapped up in speculative timelines. As we think about, as we see the end approaching, it can be very devastating to the faith of many people. So, number two. Sometimes we live as spectators and not as stewards in the end times. Sometimes we can live as spectators and not as stewards in the end times. So if um, I read a commentator who kind of called it, there's, you, you could have like a, the fanaticism on one side of trying to figure out the exact date when Christ is returning, but on the other side, you can have sort of like this, this too cool for school attitude where I'm just going to chill vibe on the other side. From fanaticism and then coolness, those are sort of like the two Two extremes, I think, that we want to avoid. There's, could this be this reality that um, for some of us, if you were, if you remember high school, there is a a reality that senioritis kicks in for many. Senioritis just kicks in. It's kind of like, here's the end. And, And by senioritis, I mean that you kind of stop caring and get sloppy with assignments and lack motivation. In some cases, you just stop showing up. Senioritis. And, and for us, as, as disciples of Jesus, there's always a possibility that we could, on the other side of kind of um, speculating forever and ever on these things, on the other side is that we can get senioritis, an eschatological senioritis. Eschatology is just the study of end, the end times. Kind of like eschatological senioritis, where it's kind of lack motivation for the Christian life, whatever, Jesus is coming back, it's going to be fine, we just chill. And... That's also a real, uh, a real problem, because we are uh, stewards. We have been entrusted with gifts, like I talked about in the last message, opportunities, and we will give Him an account of our lives. We will give Jesus an account of our lives. We have a, you know, a final capstone project, if you like, that we will be bringing to the Father that we will be bringing in light of Jesus' grace and mercy and goodness to us. So eschatological senioritis is not something that any of us, I think, really want to uh, fall into, even though it's possible for anyone to go there. So I think that's the second thing. Sometimes we can live as spectators in the end times as opposed to stewards. Third thing. Sometimes our eschatology, our study of the end times, can become more about understanding and getting our minds around and grappling with developments in the Middle East and how they relate to the end times timelines more than they can, in our eschatology, might actually not be so much about pursuing love and pursuing holiness and pursuing good works and pursuing uh, endurance and having a healthy marriage and and parenting that points your kids to Jesus and purity and all of these things that the scriptures actually desire for us and highlight and prioritize for us in these end times. It's sort of like putting the the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable uh, is what could end up happening when we focus more on geopolitical developments uh, in the Middle East or wherever on a global scene than on the quality of our lives as disciples. So James, I just wanna give you a sample uh, a couple of a couple of uh, places in the bible that, uh, that give us a sense of where do we want to put the em- emphasis say I was saying em- emphasis uh, during these last days James 5 verse 7 says this therefore brothers and sisters be patient until the lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains you must also be patient strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. And on and on it goes. And it talks about endurance and patience and learning from the prophets. And sometimes I think we can get like into this space where we're more interested in what the prophets might have to say about biblical prophecy and the, the timelines of the end times and the, the way in which the prophets show us Like it says in James, the prophets are an example of suffering and patience. Suffering and patience as we follow the way of Jesus. As we follow, as we submit ourselves to the kingdom of God. As we love as we've been loved. So there's a way in which we can miss it. By focusing on the details of uh, how some of these things will play out in the end times. 2 Peter 3, 14 says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, and these things are the, he's talking about the end, he's talking about the coming day of Christ, when Christ returns. He says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. So once again, right relationships are paramount. As you see the day approaching, right relationships, this is where the emphasis is regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Don't, don't like be tempted to give up or to question, what is he coming? Look at it as his grace to you, as his patience, as his mercy, as we live in this life and learn how to love as he has loved us and learn how to walk in the power of this spirit and learn what it means to be a forgiven son or daughter and learn what it, what it means to be part of the family, so on and so forth. Here's what I'm saying. If we ever move into a space, in our hearts, maybe a mindset, where what's happening, we're understanding what is happening in the Middle East, examining that carefully is a big deal, but we're not examining our own hearts or what's happening in our daily life. It might be time to reconsider how we approach the subject of eschatology. I was thinking about it like, Maybe for some, having an awareness of what's happening in the Middle East might help them to love their spouse, might help them to love their neighbor. It might help them to become a more uh, passionate, loving follower of Jesus in their workplace and so on in their school or whatever. For some, it might. For me, I was like, I don't know that it would help me knowing a lot about what's going on with Russia or whoever. I don't know that it's gonna help me love my wife. I I don't know that I'm strong enough for that. I think I might get wrapped up in speculations and, uh, and, and fun. Let's, let's admit it, it's fun to read, to try to form a prophetic puzzle of the end times. That is fun. There's a reason why a Nicolas Cage movie, National Treasure, made I think $350 million. It's like figuring out this kind of puzzle, this map. It's exciting stuff and I understand the draw, but again, Will it, whatever it is, our study of the end times, if it's not ultimately culminating on love for the brethren, on a life of holiness, a life of purity, a life of, of being empowered by the Spirit, of using our gifts for the benefit of the people, is, if that's not where it takes you, it's time to rethink our eschatology. It's time to at least ask the question, God, what, is, what would you want me to focus on in this time? How can I lay this at your feet? How can we turn this into a fruitful Study of the end times. So that's the third thing. Fourth thing, we forget that the return of Christ is going to be a party. It's not just going to be a party. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's, that goes along with it, but there's a reality that there is a party at the end. Okay, there can be a lot of fear associated with the end times. There are scary passages in the Bible as we think about what's going to happen in the end. Totally get it. Sometimes it's like sometimes my uh, Heather was joking with me, like, well, you'd be left behind, you know? Kind of, we can take that mindset and that mentality. It can be scary, and I totally get that. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes, when we're in that mind space, and the, that mindset could actually make the end times more about escaping the bad stuff than about rejoicing in the beautiful things that are to come. We often forget that what we're heading towards is a party. Let me read you these these verses, Revelation 19, verses 5 to 9. This is the end. This is where we're going. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Let's be glad, let's rejoice and give him glory because, and here's the party, the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. There's a party, a beautiful wedding at the end of, of, this is where we're going, the end of time. And how do you prepare for your wedding? How do you prepare for a party? You get ready. It's, there's food and drink preparations. There's music. There's, there's decorations. It's Christmas. You have your white elephant. You get your gift. You're excited about the exchange. You anticipate Who's coming and what's coming? It's exciting. It's exciting stuff. And if you believe that Jesus is coming back and that what is ahead of us is this wonderful wedding, this feast where we are wedded to our spouse forever. If you like this, I don't know why I went like this. I mean like this. We are wedded forever. Then we will be watchful, but not just watchful. We'll be excited. We'll be ready. And we will be anticipating that moment when he arrives. We will love it. So that's the fourth. And the fifth, the final one. If you have an eschatology that leads you to long to escape destruction and not to embrace discipleship, it may be time to rethink your understanding of the end times. Second Peter again. So much wisdom. So much good stuff. In the letters of Peter, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13 says, But the day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of the Lord and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. Based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So I'm going to read you a quote that explains these. These are complicated verses, but I think this quote is super helpful. Again, we're thinking about the end times. We're thinking about not escaping destruction, but about embracing discipleship. Listen to these words. This is from Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. You've heard me talking, if you've been around, you've heard me talking about the Bible Project a lot. We love and trust them. It says, he said, or Tim Mackey said, Here Peter, talking about these verses, draws upon the prophetic poetry of Isaiah and Zephaniah, who describes the day of the Lord's justice as a consuming fire. Peter says that the heavens will pass away and the stoicheia will melt by fire. This is a Greek word, That could refer to the elements, in which case it means the disillusion of the material universe, which is, honestly, when I read these verses before, that's what I thought it was, just the disillusion of the material universe as we know it. More likely, it refers to heavenly bodies. Uh, And the reason for that is that it is from Isaiah 34. Peter's actually quoting from the Old Testament. And uh, in this case, this line is a metaphor about the skies being pulled back So, to speak, before the God who sees everything. And so, this is why Peter says the day of the Lord will result in the earth and all of its works being exposed. The ultimate purpose of God's consuming justice is not to scrap the material universe, rather, it's to expose evil and injustice and remove it so that a new kind of heavens and earth can emerge, one that is permeated with righteousness, full of God's love and people who know and love God and their neighbor as themselves. This is the true Christian hope that Jesus and all the apostles have been announcing. Uh, to me, and you could, there's a couple different ways, obviously, you could read that verse. I think looking at it from the perspective of, of us of the the earth being exposed and everything on the earth being exposed makes more sense of that passage, and it makes more sense of other parts of 2 Peter as well. And so uh, here's the point. I think that we have to be careful. With simply thinking about destruction as what's coming, the destruction, the disillusion of the material universe. And I think it'll be probably most profitable and helpful to begin to think about the quality of our discipleship until the return of Christ. And this can have practical implications. I remember I was watching the, uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to beat up on Harold Camping uh, with who made that prediction. By the end of his life, he was actually a repentant Uh, He acknowledged that he was wrong. He acknowledged that he had sinned, and he did what the Bible said not to do in terms of trying to figure out the date of Christ's return. And and he was a broken, humble man by the end. And he had said some, some really difficult things about the rest of the church and kind of calling other people's salvation into question, and he repented of it all to his credit and to God's glory. So I'm not beating up on Harold Camping. But Harold Camping's wife, as they were about to um, come up on the, the, the prediction of the end. She, I remember she was talking about her car, and she's like, i got stuff in the trunk. And somebody who believed that, you know, that, that, that the universe was going to be melted said, what does it matter? It's going to be destroyed anyway. And, and I haven't been able to shake that. Because I think we can, we can, if we're thinking about destruction, we can kind of take like, a, does it, what does it matter anyway? Kind of perspective on a lot of things. When in reality, this, this, might, this probably means that God is going to see things for what they are and he's going to remove the evil from the earth. And so we get to focus on growing in our love for our neighbor, our love for our Savior and our King, our forgiving King Jesus. Those, that's going to be more profitable, I think, a more helpful way to think about the end. So let's not lose sight of the end. Even in these end times, Here's why I think this is important. When we lose sight of the end, we lose sight of Jesus. He is coming back. He will judge the living and the dead. He is a forgiving king who sits on a throne of grace. And so we want to be prepared for his return. And we want our, the quality of our discipleship, that we want, um, as the scriptures would say, we want to live a life worthy of his calling. We want to live worthy of what he has done for us and whatever might get in the way whether it's speculations whether it is yeah thinking about the earth is just being about to be destroyed causing us to not really care about what happens whether it's es- eschatological uh, senioritis whether it's really focusing on geopolitical events in the world while not potentially caring as much about the developments within our church community within our relationships all these things could take our eyes off of Jesus and that's not good because Jesus is amazing and here is what Jesus, here's how he, he has, has revealed that time, that moment of his return, and, and, and he's put it in some beautiful words for us. Out of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, here's the shout, here's the, the, the overflow uh, as, as the prophet looks to that day. He says, sing for joy, daughter Zion, shout loudly, Israel, be glad and celebrate With all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has removed your punishment. He's forgiven you. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is among you. You no longer need to fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you. A warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will delight in you with singing. Amazing words. Let those words wash over you right now. Especially as you think about the end, the thought about, you know, having to stand and give him an account. This is his heart. This is our king. He will quiet you with his love. He will delight with you, delight in you with singing. If this is the heart of God towards his redeemed people, how then should we live in these end times? How should we live? Not distracted lives, not lives that are prone to all sorts of endless speculations, but we ought to reflect a bride on her wedding day. We wanna be ready for our final restoration, for our marriage, for our union with with our spouse, dressed in white, pure, ready, holy, cleansed by the love of her husband, like a bride beautifully adorned. Practically friends, We live in a difficult moment, lots of uh, loud voices, lots of big opinions, Uh, you know, I don't need to get into it. I wanna leave with a very practical uh, step for for you, for me, as a community, how do we avoid losing our sight of the end? There's a variety of ways, I just wanna focus in on one. This is out of 1 Peter. I'm going to finish with 1 Peter, where we've been, for the most part, for the last three messages. Verse 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 7, says, The end of all things is near. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And then he says, Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Prayer has a way of grounding us in in the will of God, in His love, in His character, in His purposes. These words are spoken, are written to communities of people. So there's a a reality that when we gather, that prayer is a priority, that we pray together, that we pray for one another, is what is going to help keep us practically sober-minded, rooted in the truth, in these last days prayer. Talking to God, hearing from Him, enjoying His presence, being with Him, helps prepare us to be with Him in the end. And so church, may we be a praying church as we see the end approaching, the end of, Christ, the, end of the, uh, the return of Christ coming. We would be a church that's found praying together, focused on what, and uh, who he is, what he has done, who we are, and how he's called us to live, asking for his power, for his grace, for his mercy. Love you, church, and we'll talk to you soon.